Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this February 26th edition of the Rebel Report podcast. Decent amount of stuff to get into today. Ole Miss won a baseball game uh, over Southern Miss last night. A flu-ridden Southern Miss team is, if you listened to our radio show, you heard Scott Berry talk about that on Monday. The basketball team went to Auburn and lost. You had some interesting results in baseball around the SEC in both hoops and basketball. We'll probably get into that some. I We have uh, LB's Greg is back today. So we, we, we went through how... He feeds the baseball team. He went through kind of what he's got going on at the store right now, and then we proceeded to fat shame four dudes on the baseball game on the baseball team intentionally. He basically he said he got an order the other week uh, for like I guess their post game meal, and for four of the guys they wanted salads instead of brownies, and then he proceeded to try to guess who, who the four guys were. Can you take a guess? Salads instead of brownies. The four guys on the baseball team that pick salads over brownies. I don't know the answer, but they, whoever's John in Rice charge of Plumley. No, no, no. I don't think it's a pick thing. I, here, I'll let me frame it this way. I am pretty sure there were uh, there were four. Like, like I'm pretty sure whoever's in charge of ordering the food, being like, "Hey, for four of them, put salads instead of brownies because these guys can't have brownies." I think it was that type of deal. Okay. Well, yeah. One's Plumley. I don't know why I think that. I did see a headline today talking about Dark Horse Heisman candidates, and um, they put Plumley in there. I mean, like, I, I get national people doing that, but if you're covering the program, shouldn't you know that he's – I mean, it's not even a certain a certainty that he's going to be the starting quarterback, and you're writing about him being a Heisman contender? Anyway, um, that, that's neither here nor there. I, my guess would be him because he strikes me as a guy that's very health conscious and, and aware of what he puts in his body and uh, will not succumb to the – temptations of eating brownies instead of the potential of a salad so that would be my first guess yeah greg went baker van cleave uh oh wait oh whoa 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 hold on Uh, see now i'm an idiot so you're saying the team told him like like not the players were like hey man just not a chocolate guy but it was like the the team trainer was like don't give these guys any chocolate (laughs) Correct. That type of thing. Maybe I yeah. worded that correctly. So it was uh, the choice well, was not I probably in the players' hands. Listening well enough. Um, yeah, Baker, Van Cleve, um, Tyler Keenan, and who would the fourth be? I Greg had another one that I don't even remember, but I won't spoil. I won't spoil it anymore. You'll have to listen to the rest. To get See, the, I'm uh, such an idiot. I, I must have just not been listening well enough. Um, but anyway, we got to that some, and then I had Greg pick all four XFL games this weekend. Uh, so we're really going to put his skills to the test with that one because he said he had someone come in the store the other day and demand uh, college basketball picks in addition to whatever they're getting meat-wise. So I am hoping that was someone that listened to the show. Uh, Greg said he's not, he does not dabble into basketball. He actually said people that win in basketball are insane. So anyway, we got it in the four XFL games. <laughs> if you want to follow his lead there and uh, go all in on the Roughnecks or whoever the hell he picked, you can listen to that here in a second. But uh, we'll get to Greg in a second. We'll go, we'll, we'll go baseball. 
Greg and then basketball to close is probably how we'll set this thing up. So last night, Ole Miss beats uh, Southern Miss four to three. Southern Miss had some guys down with the flu. I was never actually able to figure out like who exactly that was in terms of uh, like uh, like what they were down. I didn't get a number on position players, but as you heard Scott Berry or may have heard Scott Berry say on Sports Talk Mississippi on Monday, they had some guys down with the flu. But Ole Miss wins four to three. Uh, Southern Miss left a ton of people on base. They left 12 men on base. They had a lot more traffic on the base pass than Ole Miss did. But Ole Miss, to their credit, did a good job of uh, kind of mowing or cutting them down and not letting them score. It was a bullpen day for Ole Miss. I'm not sure if it was 100% by design. Wes Burton put up a scoreless first inning, recorded the first two outs in the second, then I think double walk hit a guy to load the bases, and Mike Bianco yanked him right there. He said he was dealing with some uh, cold-like symptoms. So apparently just the plague is going around college Okay, so that was – I was curious about the quick hook. And so I'm glad the, that you answered the question because the, the way he pitched against Louisville, I figured – I mean, he's not going to be a starter unless Derek Diamond uh, stops pitching like himself. He's looked pretty good for a freshman so far in his role. But uh, the, the name I keep thinking of when I, when I saw Wes Burton on uh, – what was it? Sunday against Louisville was he could be like Aaron Greenwood. A guy that uh, is a he's a starting pitcher by nature, and you can come in and get, I mean, even five innings out of him if need be to salvage a game. Like he he for some reason that's the name I kept thinking of was Aaron Greenwood, and I figured that this game against a quality Southern Miss team would be the one where you could really um, throw him through the ringer a little bit because fans you know hate to lose to Southern Miss, but it's just one midweek game, and Southern Miss's RPI is going to be so good, losing it doesn't matter. Uh, I figured they would they would test him a little bit and let him go through five innings and maybe even get hit a little bit and throw pressure pitches. But when he got that quick hook, I was surprised. I thought, man, that seems a little early considering what this kid could be for you, and that explains it. Yeah, I, I don't sure if it was 100% that because what he went on to say is he had doing some cold-like symptoms, velocity was down, said he didn't have his best stuff. And then I, don't, I think there was incentive to – there was also incentive to do that because – they do have a bunch of dudes that they haven't had pitch in a while. They they like as they're trying to submit these bullpen rolls through the non-conference season, or as they go through the non-conference season, try to figure some things out. Which I think you learned some stuff last night, which we'll get into in a minute. But anyway, they've got some guys that haven't pitched in a while, and so like you have a Braden Forsyth who is now looking up like a more likely. Well, I mean, hell, right now he seems to be the closer. But the closer candidate long-term hadn't pitched since last Saturday against Louisville. So they just had a bunch of dudes that they need to get uh, work in. And so I think that was that was probably some of the incentive for the quick hook coupled with the cold and all of that. So anyway, I don't know how deep Burton was going to go if he were completely healthy. But it seemed like a combination of the two things. And Ole Miss gets a 2-0 lead in the third inning. You had a couple of two-out singles, if I'm not mistaken. One of them from Tyler Keenan, who played it a Peyton Chatagnier double, who Chatagnier sent one into the gap that scored Cade Sammons, who got hit by a pitch and then stole second base. Anyway, Ole Miss goes up 2-0. Uh, Southern Miss answers back with a run in the fifth, sixth, and seventh innings. Took a 3-2 lead when the McGillis kid took Austin Miller deep to left field in the second inning. And then in the bottom of the seventh, Kale, uh, excuse me, Hayden Leatherwood's pinch hit two-run shot. He basically walked up to the plate, caught something at 77 right over the middle, put it over the fence, and sacked back down. It was a great game for uh, Roger Dorn. But so his two-run <laughs> shot, just uh, like he literally went up, swung at the first pitch he saw, hit it over the fence, 
went up four to three, and that was it for him. He got play, replaced by, I think, Plumley in the field because I think he hit for Elko, if I'm not mistaking. But anyway, his two-run shot was the difference. A couple of takeaways there is, one, he started half the games for him, so he's been a starter for four. I think he's been in a pitch hit situation once or twice, what have you. Uh, they need to find a way to get this kid more at-bats. I say that. That's like that sounds like an angry fan saying, why ain't he playing more? I say he is going to be a, he, he seems to be like he's going to be a contributor for this team. I'm not sure what capacity could it be left field? Could it be DH? They're still trying to figure all that stuff out, but his bat plays, uh, particularly against right-handed pitchers. And it showed again the other night, I've been impressed with the, uh, the, I guess the way he's made the most of the opportunities afforded to him so far. So he's been pretty good. Juco kid always wanted to be at Ole Miss. Pretty sure grew up in Mississippi. I need to double check that. But uh, last night was kind of his night, and he uh, now has home runs in consecutive at-bats dating back to Sunday. What is the reason currently do you think he is not playing every day? Well, he's just in the mix like the rest of these dudes. He's a newcomer, so he started for the games, sat for the games. I mean, they're trying to shuffle Elko, Bench. The way Chatagnier's played has made it harder for him not to be at second base every day, which means bench is getting squeezed into an outfit spot. It's just part of the shuffle. I mean, one of the you know you had the game Saturday where they played all of the football players, or I say all of the football players, the two football players in the outfield. It's just kind of part of it. Like I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily anything he's done or hasn't done. Uh, I'm not sure Mike totally trusts him against right-handed pitching yet. He and Kevin Graham that they seem to be kind of a. Uh, uh, did I say left-handed, right-handed? Whatever, right-handed specialist type of deal. I think he could hit because Mike got asked that last night. He's like, yeah, that's not totally fair. But, like, when you ha- we are playing all these guys, when you when they do get opportunities, you want to put them in the best uh, position to win. So I'm babbling a little bit because I'm trying to find the stat broadcast from last night, and I'm getting stuff from, like, a year ago. I don't know what the hell's going on here. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So – all right, here we go. Anyway, so I no, I don't think it's anything he's done or hasn't done. I think he's just kind of in the shuffle and amongst those guys that are kind of fighting for playing time. It, it's really it's he, Van Cleve, Bench, Elko. I guess you could throw Plumley and Ely in there some too, but it's like kind See, of it kind of outfit. sounds like it, maybe it hasn't been narrowed down. It's only been two weekends and eight games, but. It kind of sounds like with the way you're describing it, the things are getting narrowed down a little bit, right? Because the sample size is really small, but, I mean, neither Ely nor Plumley have shown that they can really hit, right? I mean, Ely gets on base. He's got a pretty good eye, it seems. I mean, he, he walks a lot. But the, the guys that you mentioned before them look much more comfortable at the plate. Yeah, and I think some of that just comes probably with those guys having a fall, Ely and Plumley not having a fall. But I don't know. It's just I mean, I think I think I think Ely translates a little smoother just because he baseball was kind of his first thing. I still think, as crazy it may sound, I think if you made him pick something right now, he'd probably pick baseball. Um that was kind of what uh what his preference was when he came out of high school. I'm not I've not like heard anything that would believe that to be changed. So maybe he's you know, translates a little bit better. Plumley a little bit further behind, doesn't look really comfortable at the plate. So I would say that probably is regards to Plumley more than Ely. But anyway, they're all just. And you love what you love, and I understand that. And and you do do what you love. Um, it, it worked out for Terrence Davis, for example. But Tyrion Ely could be an NFL running back in two years. You know, I, you love what you love, and if you want to play baseball, then damn it, you you go play baseball. But 
if you had to pick one to focus on, man, he could be an NFL running back in two years. He's that good. It's not a project. It's not, well, you know, if you get better at this or get better at that, his current form is an NFL running back. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that at all. It's just, it's also, it's, I mean, in a, it's a lesser sense. It, it's not really the Kyler Murray deal because he's not like he had a bad senior season, was no longer projected as a first round draft pick, but he does have tools in baseball. And so I think he's had, like, he, I, there, there is. He's got the potential belief. of being a, a big time pro baseball player, you think? Potential. That being the key word, potential. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a scout by any stretch of the imagination. He seems to be a little bit of a dying breed, like a pretty good defensive center fielder who hits to the gaps. I just don't know. Um, but obviously, there's something there. I mean, he was a first round pick at seven, a projected first round pick at 17 years old. Like obviously, something is there. So I think there's potential in both. You know, I, to me, it makes more sense for him to play both right now. Like makes makes more sense than Plumley, I should say, because like Plumley's like, oh. Well, you're not. You're kind of in the mix, but not really. Like he got in the game off the bench the other night, like that type of thing. But you've also got a chance to be a starting quarterback in the SEC again. It just goes back to the thing we keep talking about. Like Plumley doesn't. Like Ely doesn't really need to be at spring practice. He could pick that up in a week and a half. Plumley not the same case because you're learning an offense as a quarterback. Anyway, I don't know. Uh, but they're all kind of in that mix. I don't think it's anything Leatherwood's done. Hasn't done. He's just one of those guys, and he's certainly uh, having a strong uh, audition, making a strong case. Whatever. Uh, the bullpen put up a couple of scoreless innings in the eighth. The ninth. Max Chovey worked a scoreless eighth. Braden Forsyth stranded men at the corners in the ninth, and Ole Miss comes away with the four-three win. As I mentioned a second ago, Forsyth is kind of making the case to be the closer. I think. I mean, how, like I said, Mike's using him as the closer right now. Uh, whether that sticks or doesn't stick, I, I don't know. But his stuff translates like he keeps using him in high leverage situations. I think his stuff translates well. I think he might have the best just like stuff on the team. Fastball has a bunch of life, 92, 93. Pretty good breaking ball. Like that he looks like a closer to me. The problem is is he doesn't always throw strikes. He walked a guy yesterday. He was the one you remember came in Saturday against Louisville and kind of got bailed out. He walked he walked one or two dudes and then the kid swung at the three oh pitch and popped it up that really helped him. So He's got some command issues, but he has two saves on the year now. And I, I, if you're looking at a closer candidate, I think it's probably him, unless something changes. Where, where did he come from? Because I don't remember much conversation uh, about him going into the year, or did I just miss it? No, you didn't miss it. If you made me guess like who would have been the closer coming into the year, I probably would have either said Taylor Broadway or Austin Miller. And I think there was a... Uh, there was some like I think a lot of the coaching staff probably thought it would be one of those two guys uh, coming in as well. But, you know, it's one of those things where you don't know a Juco kids. He's a I think he's a Coldwater, Mississippi. He's a Juco kid came in this year. So another one of those newcomers in that class. He's a uh, MIS kid. I actually did not know Braden Forsyth went to Mac Heights. So uh, bet he couldn't beat J.A. But anyway, he came from Meridian Community College. A uh, pretty good pitcher coming out of there. And uh, like I said, he's got good stuff. It translates well. If he can kind of settle down and and be a more consistent strike thrower, uh, which not I mean, Crazy wasn't always that way, but Crazy has had better better command at this point than Forsythe does. But anyway, it looks like you've got an emerge, emerging closer candidate and one that I think could be pretty effective for him. So that was the takeaway from last night. I thought the pitching staff was okay. Like I said, they put a lot of runners on base. Southern Miss, you know, it's the old corn cob old man thing with baseball where they couldn't get the timely hit. But uh, they they left 12 dudes on base. <laughs> Ole Miss snuck out of quite a few jams. You know, 
it's one of those games that's good on Ole Miss for kind of put like kind of putting the clamps on a. I mean, this is a quality midweek win. Southern Miss is a good baseball team, but you know, twelve men left on base versus three. Ole Miss gets out hit seven to five. It's, you know, one of those games where you don't play your best to come out with a win, and I think that's a sign of a good and talented ball club. Yeah, that is good. I mean, that's a Southern Miss team that'll finish first or second in the conference USA. Their RPI will be. I mean, definitely top 50. I think it's way too early, obviously, but they're around 30 right now, and they haven't really played anybody yet. So um, they'll be up there. It'll, it'll be a win that you'll look back on, and actually you won't look back on it because it's a midweek game. But um, it's just one of those that they didn't win a year ago, which is why it's so important. I mean, I know they had Alcorn State last week, and everybody made fun of them online because they celebrated a walk-off win against Alcorn State, and maybe they should have not thrown uh, a rock in a glass house because Mississippi State got beat by, what was it, Texas, South Texas or whatever, who was 0-9 Texas yesterday. I was about Texas to get Southern. to that, though, because it kind of is largely indicative of how pointless the college baseball season, is, uh, non-conference season is. Uh, but finish your thought. I do have some thoughts on State's loss and just kind of th- that in general. Yeah. It's But th- th- those were the games that they didn't win a year ago. And while they ended up hosting a regional and then going to a super and being one win from Omaha, that really set them back. It was the midweek games more so than anything else. And so far, even though it was Alcorn State and then where you got out hit and Southern Miss left a bunch of dudes on base last night, those are two games they lost a year ago. Oh, yeah. No, without a doubt. It's it's. Well, like last year, it was still a bit of a surprise that they got into the host. Even though they made that run into Hoover, you all went, you never, like people forget, you went into Sunday thinking you had to beat Vanderbilt. And like I had a story written afterwards. It's like, well, they got close, but they're still going on the road for regional. And then D1 puts out their final projections an hour before the selection committee comes out, which, spoiler alert, nine times out of 10, they're getting tipped off because they had Ole Miss as a host. So it turns out it wasn't even close, despite them having what their RPI was like 20 or something like that. I don't have the numbers, I don't feel like looking it up. But you're right, the midweek ones killed them. And that kind of leads me to a larger point because uh, I guess coincidentally enough, uh, on the other side of the state, he had Mississippi State uh, just have an RPI nuke dropped on them. They lost to an 0 9 Texas Southern team uh, yesterday. Whatever, baseball happens. But like for these major programs, when you have all these, like when you play in the SEC, your non conference slate is literally utterly pointless. You're literally just trying to avoid just absolute disaster. Because like you don't you don't go into the non-conference season as an Ole Miss or a Mississippi State or really any SEC club at all going. We need to stack a couple quality wins. It just does just not the case. You're going to play RPI top fifty schools, you know, week in and week out in the SEC three times a weekend. You you don't need that, and so it really becomes kind of a tricky situation. You got to play the games. I get it. You got to fill out a schedule, but like there's really not much at all. And as good as Ole Miss's win was over Louisville, like, series win to begin the year, there's just, like, like, is there really that much value in that? Because what they do in the conference slate is ultimately going to determine who they are what they are. You're really, as a big school, just trying to avoid disaster, which unfortunately happened to Mississippi State last night. Yeah, for sure. And I was texting with a buddy, and, and he said, man, I'm so mad Mississippi State lost because we need them to be good for the RPI. And I'm like, man... You don't have to worry about them on your schedule in the RPI or anything else. Uh, it's just with the the conference slate that you have. Uh, I mean, look, it may be the difference between a national seed and not being a national seed. Sure, but that's they're where not it's going gonna to hurt affect them. your schedule. That's where it hurts them, for sure. Because it's it's like if they're going to get into that seventeen eighteen win range and they're a borderline national seed, 
Uh, like if you go look and you have a loss to Alcorn, it's like, yeah, like probably want to get to 19. But like, if you're looking for somewhere that's really going to hurt state, that's exactly where it is. They have a, a nice their schedule, man. We've been talking about Ole Miss's schedule being brutal, and it is. Uh, they're in Long Beach this weekend. They get a break with Quinnipiac. I think you were gone uh, to cover the game when we started talking about this yesterday. In in six days, Mississippi State has two games neutral site in Biloxi against Texas Tech and then Arkansas for a three-game set. Then they turn around and go to LSU. I mean, so even with this, if you were the, the rare Mississippi State fan listening to this, it's not the end of the world because you have a chance to really recover, especially with those two midweek games against Texas Tech. But it, Ole Miss' schedule is brutal. But to start SEC play with two games against the number one team in the country, depending on your poll in Texas Tech, have one day off, and then have Arkansas coming to town. That's brutal. It's more of just an annoyance. Like, one, it's a bad loss. You lost to an 0-9 school that had just gotten absolutely shellacked by New Mexico State, Wichita State, and Oklahoma coming in. Like, they're allowing, like, 13 runs a game. Sorry for that. It's just an annoyance. It's like you're trying to get into uh, law school and, like, the MIP you got at age 18 as a freshman, even though it's expunged, you still got to bring it up for law school. And it's like, we really still talking about this? I've had a 4-0 for four years. I was 18. I won 19 SEC games. Are you really going to ding me for this? It's like that type of thing. Like, it's not about end-of-the-world killer, but it's just going to be a huge annoyance on what would probably, assuming if State's as good as advertised, an otherwise pretty good resume. And so, uh, you know, I guess the real big thing here is, one, uh, there's a larger conversation not, not really seeming to happen there. They lost the, their Friday night guy who's a first-round pick for a long period of time. That seems more significant than anything else, potentially for a long period of time, I guess, I say, because nothing's official. For sure. Is there any uh, bomb like that remaining on Ole Miss's schedule? Let's see. Well, they've got the revenge game against North Alabama in April. So that would be one. Is UT Martins um... – are they going to be that bad? That's going to be in the neighborhood. That's not like it's it's hard like a a, a swag. Ooh, level they've got bomb. Pine Bluff in April as well. Yeah, that's up there. I mean, like a a, a like a swag level bomb is hard to uh, replicate elsewhere. North Alabama would be in that conversation. Uh, I'm looking up. Make, I'm just running through the Belmont schedule. on the schedule on a Tuesday night. The, the day before gr- North Alabama. Not great, but probably just off the top of my head, not quite in that neighborhood. No, it's really not. Like that, like that. Alcorn would have been the main bomb for them. Obviously, North yeah, Alabama's up there, bluff, right? Yeah, but Pine Bluff has actually been kind of somewhat better of late. I'm not standing for Pine Bluff here, but yes, that's probably in the neighborhood. So they probably got two left. But anyway, it's just interesting because, as I mentioned earlier, just. A lot of times it seems as non-conference slate is pointless. Like you're only like just walking through landmines, and there's really no upside or value for you otherwise. But is anyway. there any way to avoid that? I mean, I mean, what can they do about it? No, uh, to me, it's just the structure of the sport. I mean, you got to schedule it. Like you got to fill out a schedule. You know, there's like I, I don't know. I, I don't see any way around it. I don't necessarily see a way to avoid it. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, it do- doesn't necessarily seem avoidable to me. Because then, if you don't, and you know, if you take care of business and beat teams that that you're better than, you don't have to worry about it. Well, yeah, that that that's also a big part of it too. But at the same time, it's like, like, there, I mean, if, if you make your schedule harder, then it's just like, well, you don't have these easier games. I don't know. It just the structure of the sport in that sense seems to be a mess, a little bit messed up. But uh, just kind of an all encompassing thought. I thought Ole Miss played okay. wasn't a great night offensively, but they did enough and they pitched it pretty well. And I think the uh, I think the 
bullpen pitched well for like second, third game in a row, which I think is good and will help them in the long run because they were a little shaky in the middle parts. But anyway, not much from Wes Burton. Some guys were pretty good after that. Jackson Kimbrell, pretty good. Max Chofi, a uh, not effortless, but a, a pretty easy uh, eighth inning. Austin Miller was pretty good, did give up the home run. They had an error that led to a run. Other than that, they were pretty good. So pretty good win for Ole Miss. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Greg real quick. So we got into uh, what's the best – some of the best stuff to grill for baseball season, some grilling tactics to prevent diseases on those old grills out in left field. Uh, like I said, we picked the four XFL games. If anyone wants to track Greg's picks for me, I'll go back and do it, but I'm being lazy. If you want to follow him and maybe throw like, I don't know, 500 bucks a game on what he said and report back to me on Monday, that would be great. Uh, so <laughs> he's got all four XFL games. He uh, kind of hit, uh, shed some light into what's going on uh, at LB's, what they've got specialized, how he feeds the baseball team. Oh, before we get to that, he uh, he did point out two ridiculous rules that is going to be right up your alley. Uh, he's not feeding the baseball team yet because of an NCAA rule. So you're not allowed to feed them post-game meals uh, until, unless the game starts after a certain time. So you can't feed them for the 4 o'clock games, but you can feed them for the 6 o'clock games. All right. Uh, I, we probably talk about it too much on the radio show, and that's that's my fault. Wait, but you ready for what, the worst one? I'm just going to drop both of them on you at once. There's a second rule. You ready for the second one? Let's hear it. He said apparently in the fall that he can only give them like sandwich type stuff because you can't have a meal, post-game meal. I'm not sure on the validity of this. You'll hear this from Greg in a second. Uh, you can't feed them something that involves a fork. Wait, it's got to be like sandwiches and stuff, sandwiches and pizza. That's what he said. I'll take his word for it on that one. But the four o'clock, the, the day game, night game thing, it, explain to me how you can come to that conclusion. Like, I'm sitting here thinking about it. And there is nothing that I, I can even putting my NCAA incompetence hat on and, and come up with a reason why that rule would ever be in place. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, that there is no logic that I can come up with that would even like I, the transfer waiver thing. Like I, I get, I get why Tate Martell got his waiver. He shouldn't have, but I understand. Like I can wrap my mind around them sitting in a room and giving him that waiver, even though it was because he was going to a big school and he was high profile, and they gave him a waiver, even though he didn't deserve it. But I can wrap my mind around it. There is nothing about you can't serve a team meal for a game that starts before 6 o'clock. There is nothing that I can come up with that tells me how they came to that conclusion. I don't know. I'd be interested to find out. I might have to ask someone in like compliance or something, but I find that uh, fascinating and stupid. Random story idea time. for you. If you're looking for, for something like that, go to compliance and ask about the dumbest rules they've got. Oh, or yeah, you, you sure can't. They probably wouldn't appreciate it being formed that way. But like the more obscure rules that they have to follow, uh, and use that as like the hey, I heard about this. Tell me what else that you have to do that seems unorthodox. That would be some good content right there, especially for the radio show. Yeah, I don't hate it, and it would give them a free chance to kind of shit on the uh, the the dumb and archaic rules. But Anyway, all right, here's Greg. We'll go to Greg, then we'll wrap up with some basketball and kind of whatever else is on there. But uh, without further ado, LB's Greg makes his triumphant return to make you money on the XFL. What a sentence. All right. Uh, we now welcome on LB's Greg is back. The Mead Sharp 
It's been a long time since we talked. It's feels, I say long time. It's been like a month since football season ended, but it feels like longer. Up. What's up, man? Man, just another day in the neighborhood. How's everybody going? Pretty good, pretty good. It's a uh, in terms of I guess what we're doing. It's a little bit of a busier time just because you've got the the baseball basketball overlap now, and it used to be where you have spring football, but Kiffin has actually made it later, so we we aren't going to have that like tri sport overlap, which I guess is always a uh, always a good thing. But just kind of hanging in there. Baseball season coming around. Uh, I that's got to be busy time for you guys, just because from an ad perspective, you're everywhere. It's Swayze. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it picks up pretty good for us during baseball season. We pick up, uh, like, for example, we fed Louisville uh, two, two times last, uh, last week. Um, yeah, it, it does pick up a, a really good. When the weather turns and it's actually, you know, try to, you know, nice to get outside and, you know, get the grill going and get some uh, sausages and uh, some burgers on the grill, it's actually, you know, a good time for it. So, yeah, we picked up tremendously. All right, so let's get into it there. If you're going to a baseball game this year, I know you have game packs, right? I remember you telling me this. Like, oh, the grill pack. Grill, grill pack. pack, yeah. So what is in that, and what would you, like, if you're t- if someone if someone from, like, China came over and was like, hey, I'm going to a college baseball game, never been, what are you setting them up with grilling-wise? Uh, well, you know, what I would recommend as far as uh, those grills out there aren't the best. You know, it's like those old-style steak part uh, grills. How do you not get diseases on those things? I get that they're hot, but they do look kind of nasty. Yeah, no, uh, what we, whenever I was cooking in left field, what I would do is I would take tinfoil and we would, you know, uh, cover up the, you know, kind of seal everything up and kind of make sure the heat stays in there real well because, you know, uh, whenever you have those gaps in there, you know, it's really not going to get hot, so... Uh, what I would recommend is go ahead and get a smoked sausage, you know, either the spicy Hawaiian or the LB smoked pork sausage. That sausage is already cooked, so you basically just kind of warm it up. So, um, so yeah, probably a couple packs of smoked sausages, um, probably um, some filet burgers. Um, you know, you, you kind of want to stay away from the chicken just because, you know, chicken uh, has to, you know, have a little bit longer, temp, you know, uh, heat on it to make sure it's cooked all the way through. So I do have a smoked chicken jalapeno sausage that would be good for the for the left field. But um, the grill pack, uh, what we do with the grill pack is it's a half chicken, two weeks of fresh sausage, and then some thin cut pork chops. So basically, the easiest thing to do with that is just put the uh, chicken on first, and then set it once you got you know some temperature on it uh, on each side. Set it over to the side, and then uh, that way it's continue cooking, and then you can throw your sausage and those thin-cut chops, because the thin-cut chops, normally, they don't take too long. They're, they're pretty, you know, they're thin, so you just kind of want to sear them on each side for a couple of minutes. You feed the baseball team, too, which I know we've been over before, but what goes into that? Uh, a lot of noodles. A lot of spaghetti noodles. Okay. Uh, we, uh, well... You know, the NCAA has a terrible rule that they like to imply. You cannot get, you can, uh, a team cannot get post-game meals until the game starts after a particular time, which the particular time is 6 o'clock. So we haven't been able to feed Ole Miss any post-game meals because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the early start times. But um, we'll start feeding them. Um, the Memphis game. Memphis game is going to be the first, not, you know, six o'clock game. So, right. Um, wait, wait. Why is that? How does that make any sense? 
Um, well, you know, I, I guess the NCAA thinks that, you know, these kids can go to class and then turn around and, you know, play in a, uh, a you know, a three- to four-hour baseball game, you know, at, from, at 1.30, and then when they get done, they can, you know, feed themselves. So, uh, it's, there's some really weird rules. They, uh, during the, during the uh, spring, uh, no, during fall ball, they can't have any meals that require a fork. So it's only strictly like sandwiches and bags of chips. I, that just a, a, I, I get it's probably a dated rule, but like I don't understand that. I don't understand why the NCAA is in the business of giving a shit what people eat and who gives it to them. Well, you know, they like to uh, have their hand involved in everything. But, yes, it's a very terrible rule. And it's just one of the many things that the NCAA is just terrible at. All right, so would, like, fast forward to March. It's a, like your average post game meal. Like, what are they normally requesting? I've always actually kind of wondered what they eat afterward. Well, uh, what uh, what I cooked for uh, Louisville, they did the uh, first night. They did uh, a large pan of chicken spaghetti, a large pan of spaghetti and meatballs. They requested a lot of meatballs, which was kind of weird. So, uh, <laughs> He's like, man, don't make, you know, make sure they got a lot of meatballs. And I'm like, man, you can only put so many, you know, meatballs in a pan of spaghetti. So we gave them an extra pan of meatballs on the side. So, um, but yeah, spaghetti, meatballs, chicken spaghetti, and then like uh, a large salad and a large mixed vegetable. Uh, what I normally do for Ole Miss is very similar. Um, we do, they like to do a uh, hamburger steak. So it's like 80 hamburger steaks and gravy. Um, they usually do, like, half chickens. It's going to be, like, 45 half chickens. Uh, the spaghetti is roughly about 40 pounds of spaghetti every time. So um, they just uh, – they, they and they crush it, man. Like, I uh, I fed them Monday and accidentally uh, gave them too much food because uh, Chris was like, hey, we just needed food for 35. I was like, oh, well, I did it for, like, 45. He goes, don't worry, it'll get eight. And – Elko came in and got a plate lunch the next day, and he goes, he goes, man, I think everybody got to take home, like, two boxes. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it, they love it, and, you know, that's kind of one of the main reasons. Uh, Brett Huber was in town uh, yesterday, and uh, we uh, he literally was the first guy to request LB's post-game meals. And so whenever that got taken care of, we've, you know, been doing it since, so. We've been doing post-game uh, meals since, like, 2013, so it's pretty, pretty solid run. So, but, yeah, we'll get, we'll get really, really busy whenever SEC picks up because um, they refer uh, us to them, so we'll end up feeding, like, both the teams, uh, you know, on, Thursday, on Friday and Saturday. Do you have, like, a special thing you cook for Kel Baker? Because I don't believe he eats the same shit the rest of the team eats. Uh, I mean, you know, that's why we give an extra, that's why I make an extra pound of uh, spaghetti, you know, I mean, I don't know if you've seen a, what a pound of spaghetti looks like, but it's a lot of food, so, uh, but what was kind of funny was, uh, we, you know, we do a sandwich order for them, and they, re- and four, and they requested four players not get brownies, they get salad, and I was like, so no brownies, they want salads instead of brownies, and then... The first time I laid eyes on Carl Baker, I was like, oh, that's the guy that gets the salad. Salad guy. Yeah. So I'm assuming Leatherwood, Carl Baker, and uh trying to think of the other, Van Cleve were the salad guys. You said four. I'm going to go wild card Keenan as the fourth. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know. But it was kind of funny. Like, it was a special request for 
uh, salads instead of brownies for four guys. So. You could have told me that you just handed Kale Baker a plate of raw meat and just had him shovel it down his face, and I would have probably believed you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I should have said, uh, you know, we feed, we feed 40, 44 guys, and then we have a, a plate of two pounds of raw meat for just a random guy on the team that, you know, so. Well, but yeah, I, uh, on those JUCO guys, if they just you know, uh, if they don't know any better, I think we'll be all right. You know, uh, the less they know, the better they'll be off. So just keep hitting the ball. If I were you, I would just take credit for the balls that have been getting out to dead center because you haven't seen a lot of those in hell. I think there's been three in like two weekends. I think Baker did it twice. Or video did it. Like you got no, uh, yeah, the video did it twice. Yeah, that's the, that's the one who did it twice. If, if their balls getting out to dead center over the batter's eye, it's probably what they're eating afterward. Oh, for sure. You know, we try to we not try to take all the credit, but we'll take some. So, what do you have going on at the store right now? Do you still have Lane Kiffin, Keith Carter special? What else? Is there anything else uh, crazy going on? Well, we uh, we have officially done the Lane Train special. I mean, it's always going to be here. I had a guy come in and he goes, um, "When is the uh, when are y'all going to stop doing the Lane Train special?" I go, "Whenever Lane Kiffin leaves, you know, like it it, it, it ain't going nowhere, you know." So. Um, our uh, our buyout clause on the lane train special is just like his buyout clause, uh, so we're we're good. You know, it, it, we're all in on the lane train special. Um, just you know, we just got done doing some fresh sausages, the spicy ribeye, the regular ribeye. Uh, did the harvest apple this week. Uh, we'll do um, some chicken spinach feta later the day, uh, this afternoon. Just man, it's always something trying to keep caught up on everything. Um, we made some boudin last, some regular boudin and some crawfish boudin. So uh, I'll be stuffing some pork chops with some boudin this weekend. Uh, man, it's, you know, just uh, pretty much the basic uh, stuff going on at LB's every week. The, <laughs> so we, as we were talking before we started recording, we, I, we need to find a way to supplement the LB's pick'em because it was very popular during football season. And I understand, you told me you had a guy come in and demand some basketball picks? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're betting on basketball, man, you're way off in it. I mean, because that, that, that that's all, I mean, did you see the Paul George walk the other night? Yeah, oh. yeah, it's brutal, dude. But the thing about basketball is you can have, like, you can be on the right side, and in the last two minutes it'll all just go to hell because they don't stop fouling free throws. It's just a disaster. It, yeah, I mean, like, say, for example, you know, if they score 128 to 130 points in the first half and you've got the over, like, 230-something, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm good. And the next thing you know, they drop, like, a 42- or 43-point quarter. And you go, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, and it's just, yeah, man. I, I, I mean, I've seen – I've lost so many bets to where they literally let the guy just shoot or they don't – or a brick one. It's just, man, it, NBA – uh, it's uh, it's black. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's more of a degenerate thing for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially like going up to like a roulette wheel or something. Like, there's no way you can actually know. And anyone that tells me otherwise, I think, is probably a liar. So, as much as I've, as, as much as I've t- t- told people to go in there, and when they go in there, ask about your picks. That's funny that someone came in there for basketball. Are you? Have you become an XFL sharp? Do we have that going on? I, I, well, I, I, uh, I tell you what, I like the XFL a lot. I've I enjoyed mean, it too. I, I, I've watched I'll Tell you, me. It's a good product. It's a really good. I mean, you know, I you you turn during football season, you turn on those Tuesday and Wednesday night Mac games. Yes. and you're just sitting there betting on them just because it's the only thing on. 
I mean, it's better than it's better than that. I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, I think it's a. It's a. I mean, the kickoff return is, is a great idea. Um, I mean, I mean, it just I, I'm all for it. I, I literally watch one game and they review every play and they beat down and like, hey, y'all missed that call. You know, put it on the 47. So I just, you know, they just. Uh, I mean, you know, it's uh, for the for the love of the game. You know, it's not only a good movie; it's uh, it's a good slogan for the XFL. The you, the thing you said about the Mac, I literally said the exact same thing on radio. I couldn't agree more. To where it's like, it's a good enough product. It's a better product than the Mac, and so like. That's one of those things you turn on Tuesday, Wednesday nights. I'm probably not planning a Saturday or Sunday around the XFL, but if I'm doing nothing, and on Sundays in particular there's a good chance that's the case, I'm definitely putting it on. It's interesting enough because it's interesting to have like to see like how Mummy running the air raid versus some pro-style stuff on the other side. Like It's kind of fascinating. You've got the double pass. You've got the go for one, two, and three that no one seems to be able to get the hang of. It's a... Uh, it's definitely better than the AAF. I've enjoyed it a lot more. And Tiamu's been balling. Yeah, yeah, he has him. And, you know, I mean, that just shows how good of a play. I mean, he could be an NFL. I mean, I think he could play. I mean, he could for sure be someone's backup in the NFL. I mean, I, I know the XFL and the NFL has a, you know, a gap. But, you know, it's really not that big of a gap. I just, I just assume it would be, you know, NFL practice squad playing each other. I mean, that's what I kind of, you know, get the feel for as far as the XFL. But, uh, you know, St. Louis, man, I, I think they sold out that, uh, their game. And that, man, there, there was like, I think more than 20,000 people there. I mean, that's pretty solid. Of course, St. Louis is going to put the feather in their hat that they're the best sports town in the world with, you know, whatever. They're all still uh, pissed off at Stan Kroenke, too, for moving the Rams. I think there was a lot of that there. Yeah, for sure. But I really feel like they can expand it out. If they can get maybe a market like Chicago and Nashville to join the East and maybe, I don't know, I would think you would probably try to go after Portland to get like a rivalry with Seattle and then maybe a uh, Colorado Springs or something like that or Oklahoma, or Oklahoma City, something like that in the West. I feel like you can get two more teams in there and it would actually, I mean, of course, Everybody laughs about the relegation and the demotion, but I mean, there's some really bad teams in the NFL, and I know they go through spurts. But man, like if you are that bad and you're tanking it for the first round picks, like you need to go to the XFL, you know. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna put your uh, we're gonna put, we're gonna put your football um, meat sharp title to the ultimate test here. We're gonna pick four XFL games because <laughs> why the hell not? So, yeah, yeah, for sure. We love sports. That's, that's the slogan. <laughs> so this weekend, we've got all right, first game on Saturday. The Los Angeles Wildcats are on the road against the New York Guardians. The Wildcats are a seven-point road favorite. And they are one and two, and the Guardians are one and two. So they are not high on the New York Guardians offense. And why would you? They've scored four touchdowns in two games. What do you got here? Oh, you know, I'm all over the Guardians here, man. You know, it's the travel rule of game. I mean, if the team is traveling across country, doesn't matter what the spread is. We're just going to take the we're going to take the team that's at home. So uh, we'll 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 call this the travel rule game, and we'll go with the Guardian, the terrible Guardians. Okay, I like that. So for some reason, the Wildcats have scored more touchdowns than they've allowed, but somehow have a one and two record. That doesn't seem uh that is well, I think they uh, I think they were underdogs against the defenders last weekend, and they you know put a little bumping on them. So 
man, you know, it's so funny watching Vegas trying to figure this thing out because all of them were, all the, the first week, all the totals were like 50-something, and they didn't get over 30 points. And then they brought them down to like 40 to 42, and then now they're going back up to like 50. It's, it's good stuff, man. It's, it's fun trying to watch Vegas figure this stuff out, too. It is. They've had a harder time with it. They've nailed a couple of the over-unders lately, but it seems like, because uh, Richard was talking about this on the radio show, but the, the spread-wise of what these teams are going to do seems uh, seems pretty tough. The second game we have on Saturday is Jordan Tiamu. They've got another home game. They're 12-point favorites over the Seattle Dragons, who are 1-2. Man, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I like Seattle. I mean, I mean, I know, I know. Let's no, no, no. We're gonna go with St. Louis on this because Tamu's been playing real well. And like I said, uh, all these guys that are in this league are playing for a job for the next for NFL. I, I feel like you're gonna see, you know, some good football, and you know, I, and definitely take the over also. So St. Louis in the over on like a. Five hundred dollar parlay. How about that? I like. I, I like that. The St. Louis. I've watched all three of their games, and they are. Uh, they have the best plus minus for touchdown wise. And the one game they lost, Tamu had two interceptions. One wasn't his fault, and that kind of just screwed them. So I, I think they're one of the better teams in the league. So that's been. Your and I like their coach too. Uh, I mean, he's pretty. Uh, I saw his, uh, his post game interview uh, after the, uh, the first home game, and seemed, uh, I like him. I like him. Yeah, they seem solid. So here we go. The Sunday games, who could forget this? The Battle of Texas. The Dallas Renegades are one-point home underdogs against the Houston Roughnecks. Uh, Houston is 3-0, and so the best team in the XFL record-wise. Dallas is 2-1. and I mean, I'm not – I like the, the Roughnecks. I like Houston. Uh, isn't uh, – God, who's, who's coaching for Dallas? Uh, Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops. How I mummy mean, is his OC? I mean, that's like uh, uh, like picking up the phone and getting the band, uh, putting the band together uh, overnight. Uh, I'm good. I, I like the Houston Roughnecks. I'm going to go with the Houston Roughnecks. They have the best offense in the league, and I don't remember their quarterback's name, but apparently he's the most explosive dude in uh is it, PJ, is it PJ something? Yeah, PJ Walker. It's that kid out of there Temple. You go. Look at us. Look yeah. at us I'm pulling up these uh, XFL players we, like we've, we've been practicing it forever. All right, so we're three games through. We've got one left. And so you've gone home dog, home favorite, road favorite. And this one might be a little tougher because you've got the D.C. defenders on the road against the Tampa Bay Vipers. The Vipers are 0-3 and have looked really shitty doing it. They are uh, two-point home underdogs against the D.C. Defenders, who I believe are 2-1. and one, uh, Yeah, and the Vipers yeah, are 0-3. Uh, Car- uh, Carnell Jones is for the uh, Defenders. Isn't it Car- Carnell? Yeah, never, uh, yeah. Yeah, he uh, undefeated as a starting quarterback until uh, until they lost last week. Uh, man, you know, like I said, I, 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 whenever I do my research on XFL, I just type in and just look on Twitter, and I haven't heard anything good about Tampa Bay. So if uh, if that's the case, then I think the, uh, the you know the DC Defenders on that travel rule game yesterday last week got got uh, got rolled up. So. I, I think that the D.C. Defenders are an actual decent club, and I think this is an extremely low number, and I'm going to go five-star play on the Defenders all day long. 
Okay, so there you have it. We picked the Florida XFL games. The bone-in ribeye lock special is the DC Defenders. How about that? <laughs> so, all right, so if you go 4-0 in this, I don't know what your prize is going to be. Although we may demand everyone listening to this go sit in your store and demand free picks for the next year or something and refuse to leave. But we're going to hold you to this. So we'll go. We'll catch up next week, and we will decide. And we will see how this uh, how this fleshed out. And we may have to get into some over-unders or get real weird for XFL Week 5. Or we might have to start doing a, an XFL podcast exclusively. I am sure there's a huge market for that that we're just not tapping into. But... Greg, I appreciate it as always. Go see him, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You hear it on the pod every day. You heard what they have going on from the man himself. Greg, we'll see how these picks turn out. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Y'all have a good day. And that was LB's Greg. Appreciate him coming on as always. It had been a while. I was supposed to have him on like a week ago, but just kind of dropped the ball on that through travel, other stuff, what have you. But... Anyway, so like I said, anyone wants to track those picks out there, uh, please let me know. And uh, if you have a guess as to four guys who get salads instead of brownies, you can let me know on that too. But anyway, uh, transitioning elsewhere, Ole Miss played a basketball game at Auburn last night. I'll let you take the lead on this because I was covering baseball, and truthfully, I like they had it on at the very end in the background, but I wasn't able to watch hardly any of this. Uh, it's it's actually pretty simple. Uh, they got nothing from Hadim C. Uh, Devontae Shuler was awful, especially in the second half. He ended up fouling out himself anyway. And uh, K.J. Buffin was their most consistent offensive player. You will never win a game uh, with this current roster makeup when you are getting zero points from Hadim C. And K.J. Buffin is your best offensive player. It's just now, With all due respect to K.J. Buffin, he, he's he can be a really good college basketball player. I mean, he's got the tools to be able to do that. And, man, there are times where, where he'll make a play. Like in the second half, he had a good flush, uh, followed a miss, uh, offensive board into a flush. And it was – you thought, damn, you know, if he could play that aggressively without fouling, he could be a really good player. But, alas, he, he cannot do that. But it's really that simple, man. Uh, they got nothing from Devontae Shuler, especially in the second half. Tyree was – I mean, probably played his worst game in, in quite some time. J- just couldn't create shots, couldn't make shots. And then defensively, he was, I mean, he's kind of a liability. And they lose a basketball game. It's sometimes sports are really easy to diagnose. And it, it, last night it was that simple. Uh, they got no production from C. Tyree was bad. Schuler disappeared. They fouled too much. They turned the basketball over too much. And they lost a the game. Tyree, 16 points, three of 19 from the field. Yeah, you're not going to win with, with that that's stat a, line. And that's it's called not fair ineff- to the kid, but it's what That's it called is. inefficient. And I'm not crapping on Tyree here because, I mean, the guy's carried the team, has a decent player, SEC player of the year case, if the team doesn't stink so bad. But, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's rough. Adim C, like you said, nothing. He had zero points in one shot attempt in 22 minutes. With the foul trouble? What the hell happened? Uh, a little bit of that, and it just – Ineffective, and it seems like he's regressed since he was playing so well a couple weeks ago. This might be the best way to dissect this game. I'm just going to look at the box score of someone who didn't watch and ask you why. Uh, <laughs> Devontae Shuler, seven points, two of five. That seems about par for the course, two assists, one turnover. It's just, I mean, look, man, if this team was going to be successful, he has to be more productive than that. I don't know, and again, I didn't watch the game, but 
every time I watch a shoeer game, aside no, granted, usually doesn't happen against Auburn because whatever reason he plays really well against Auburn. But like he just disappears at times, and like I, you can't disappear when you have that big of a role on the team. That happened last night. Like to me, I have stretches where I look around like, oh yeah, he's out there. Like I forgot. I either don't think he's healthy or there's his confidence is just gone. Because he's not even getting shots up, man. It's not like he's not scoring. He's not trying to score. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's probably, honestly, I get like Buffin and and Henson haven't made the jumps. Or I I say that. Buffin's been better the last month or so. And Henson has too a little bit. They haven't made the consistent jumps that they thought they would as sophomores after such promising freshman year campaigns. And that's something freshman year campaigns. Wow, that's a double... uh, that's not even a double negative. I don't even know what the hell I just said. Point being, that happens sometimes. But the greatest mystery is Devontae Shure, in my opinion. Like, yeah, last year he wasn't called upon to score. He was supposed to run the offense. They didn't have a true point guard. He honestly probably still, as much as we talked about it, doesn't get enough credit for kind of seamlessly fitting into that role. But this year he's been asked to call, been called upon to score more. And I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard if you're a regular listener to this podcast. But it just hasn't happened, and I don't know why. Like to me, that's the greatest. As big as the biggest disappointment's a different conversation uh, with this team, and you can figure, like you can you can make our number, guys. Biggest mystery to me is Shuler, no doubt. I don't understand it. I don't think it's from what I've asked, and I, again, I could be wrong, and they could just not be saying anything. But from everything I've sniffed around, there's not a health thing there. I don't think. No, I mean, there's been no, no indication of that except for his nagging injury a year ago. But I, I just can't quite figure out. I mean, he doesn't try to beat people off the dribble. He doesn't get shots up. It's almost like, see, that's why I think he's injured. Either that or his confidence is injured. Because he is a guy that is too talented to, one, only be getting five shots up a night. But just his production does not match his ability and his talent. And so it's got to be one of those two things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we're talking in circles here, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, that's really the only thing you can guess. Like, I mean, other than that, you'd start really getting into some conspiracy theories. But yeah, it just, it hasn't happened. And that's, I mean, they're supposed, this is supposed to be an all-SEC backcourt that carries a team. And from an offensive perspective, at least, that's really kind of been one-sided. Like, they've, they've only gotten half of what they thought. Obviously, so, like, you didn't expect Shewer to score at the clip Tyree has, but it, there's got to be, like, some some middling out. Like, it can't be that lopsided. Yeah, big picture stuff. So this team, I mean, they've got home games against Vanderbilt and Missouri, and you know they'll likely split those two. So they'll end up, what is it, five and thirteen in the SEC. They have to go to Mississippi State, and the Bulldogs at least will have something to play for. We'll see. I mean, they're they are they're playing out the string. disaster season. Um, what? Big picture, what do you make of year two under Kermit? Because there, there's bad years, and then there's this, which if they find a way to go one and two in the remaining schedule, it's a disaster. Hmm. So what does one and two put them at? Well, they are four and 14. So one and two would put them at five and six. No, that's not right. Sorry, I can't do math in my head. So they are four and 11 right now in the league. So it would put them at 5-13 and 13 in SEC play. Okay, here's a hot take. To me, that's not – this is interesting. In a vacuum, throw out the preseason expectations. But to me, that's a bad year, but I don't know if that's a disaster. To me, like 2-16 and, and you go like 10 and something 
is a disaster. They're going to be around the 500 club, maybe on 100. Like they're going to be. If they like, finish, what? if they finish one and two, they will be 14 and 17 overall. Like to me, yeah, that's a bad year. This has been a disappointment. I'm not trying to like with no, the expectations this team had. I, I'm not sugarcoating that. But to me, like that, to me, that's not quite disaster territory. That's just like. Yeah, they had one injury, which you can't really equate the season to Luis Rodriguez not being there. They don't have much front court depth. Like some guys didn't pan out. Like for the lack of a better phrase, shit just kind of happened. And so, I, I like everyone wants to, like everyone's so impatient in this day and age. And I get it; it's a year to year thing, and these dudes are making millions. I got all that, but to me, sometimes, particularly in hoops, because like like you, your two three man recruiting classes, you're adding grad transfers, like you're really relying on like two or three dudes. And if they don't pan out, you're just kind of sunk for that year. So to me, just kind of shit happens. I don't think this is like any like red flag or whatever. Like, oh my gosh, they do need to ta- evaluate talent better. He seems to be recruiting better. You've got you know Matthew Morell coming in, you know, Jarkel Joyner next year, which I'm still not necessarily sold as much as they're talking about him in practice. I'd like to see it first. But point being, this to me is just kind of a eh, shit happens year. Like not great. Definitely disappointing, but like somebody was going to get swallowed up by this league, and Ole Miss appears to be one of them. But it does set up a hell of an interesting dynamic for year three because if you're not at the very least a bubble team in year three, you're kind of looking at this thing and being like, "Where are you going?" Right? Like to me, this year in a backroom vacuum, while it's a disappointment, to me it's not necessarily indicative of anything larger other than, "Yeah, injury. Yeah, this guy didn't pan out. Yeah, shit happens." But it sets up an interesting dynamic for year three, right? Are they bringing in enough talent to I – because mean, that's part of their problem here. Is, as you said, a couple guys didn't pan out. They are not – apparently they are not talented enough or there are guys that are just not reaching their potential for uh, – could be a multitude of reasons. I think you, the, the capital from year one for Kermit Davis is, is not gone. Right, people still believe in him and the future of the program, and they should. I wonder how much of this, though, you can rest on directly on his shoulders and what that should mean for him entering year three. And I guess a follow up to that statement would be the question Are they bringing in enough talent to compensate for one losing Brian Tyree, which is a big deal, and then to make up for what is clearly some deficiencies on that roster right now? I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, Morell's the highest-rated kid they've ever signed, so uh, that seems to check all the boxes. But I don't know what the I don't know what the and you're you're going to find out here in the next two weeks. Like as you go to Nashville and after that, I don't know what the roster attrition is going to be. I have an idea of who's going to be processed and like how many scholarships are going to be freed up because that's the thing. Like on paper right now, they really don't have any scholarships to be freed up. Like uh, Jarkel Joiner is going to get Tyrese and theories. You got Morell coming in like. Obviously, I think uh, I, I'm not naive enough to think the entire team's remaining intact after that. But point being, on paper, you got one senior. Like, there, there's no scholarships to be had. And so I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know. Again, I have an idea, but I'm not going to say right now who's going to be processed and how, like, who, who they're going after in the grad transfer market. You're not going to know the answer to that until April or maybe even into the summer. So all you can go off is what you have right now. Morell seemed good player. I think he's going to contribute. Uh, uh, immediately next year, you know, you've got Sean Robinson coming off a red shirt, uh, which could probably address some front court woes. You're relying on Jarkel Joyner to take 
Brilliant Tyrese place. Like they, they, they keep talking about how much he fills it up in practice, and I'm not necessarily disputing that. It's just like, yeah. So did Dominic Olenicek. Yo, kid comes in for ba- from Bakersfield, like uh, whatever. I just uh, like that's that that's a little bit of a stretch to me to completely rely on something like that. But I will anyway. never. Okay, never is a strong word, but just this. X player is great in practice, so look out. I, I just I'll believe it when I see it because I, I just there are so many elements into practice that don't translate to the game, and it also could just be propaganda BS. I mean, we've heard this not just from Ole Miss, obviously it, everywhere. There's always these players that are just awesome in practice, and you just wait. They're going to make a difference this year, and then when the games happen, they never do. So I never buy that shit. Um, Maybe it's the cynic in me, no, but like no, it's I, a, I'll it, wait to see if Joiner's great when they start playing actual games. No, but you're right. But also the other way of that, when you hear that, it's just kind of the nature of the thing because it's like, <laughs> it's it's because the only in a college basketball program, the only people you're really talking to, sourcing laws are people around the team. Yeah, you could talk to some other people outside it, but like like they sign, and I'm I'm not necessarily picking on Franco Miller. Actually, I'll go someone from the AK era. You sound like Tom, Tomas Giello is a grad transfer. Like, what do you think of this kid? It's like, well, stretch four, can shoot it a little bit, space the floor. Like, this kid's going to be pretty damn good. So that's really all you can go off of. Like, AK, or no one on that staff was going to be like, Giello, yeah, five out of ten. Jump shot sucks. He can rebound okay. Very average player. Like, when you come into your program, no one's going to say that. So, you, like you said, you don't really know until the games are happening. So what does what does this season mean? Uh, big picture for Kermit Davis, and then you mentioned going into year three makes year three interesting. But what do you think the and it's not over yet, but the season's over. Um, what do you think this outcome means, big picture wise, for the direction of the program? Like, if you were put yourself in an Ole Miss fan's shoes, what should they think about the direction of their program right now? I think it's just like exactly like I said. It's just like whatever. Like like to me, like that that year, if I'm invested in this program, it's kind of like whatever. This shit happened. Like it happens. Like you know, guys didn't time. pan out. What have you? But it's kind of like next year's a prove it year. Like, are you actually legitimate? And like, obviously, you got to you kind of need to look at back this at a ten thousand foot view and realize what this program is. Maybe despite what some people might think it is, whatever. Like you know, you had two tournament appearances. You know, spanning from twenty. What two thousand one to twenty thirteen, whatever. Like, the, the pavilion's fantastic. The practice facility is very good, but it still does not eliminate some of the limitations of the job. One of which being just simple geography. Mississippi does not produce basketball players that other states do. You have to overcome uh, the the program history, which is non-existent. You have to overcome the fact that you don't have at all an NBA presence, and the the one bit of NBA presence that you do have is playing in Canada, sadly. Uh, I mean, if he was anywhere else besides Toronto, I mean, imagine how much more impact he would have. Like, let's pretend that he was in, I mean, even Atlanta, you know? It's just, it's funny to me that the Ole Miss finally gets an NBA presence and a guy that's playing really well, and he's in freaking Canada. Uh, that's just, that's fitting for the, the past history of the program. There are still limitations uh, that they have to overcome to, to win basketball games. Building a new building does not change that reality. Yeah, but I just meant like like next year they need to be in the mix, in my opinion. Like you, you got to be oh. in the bubble team all the way to the end, that minimum. Otherwise, obviously, no one's getting fired or anything like that. I mean, unless I mean next year would have to be an absolute just an atrocity for that to even be a conversation. But in terms of just buy-in and investment and this being a coaching upgrade and all that, 
you need to be in the mix next year because it's almost in some ways it's like, it's not comparable to how and thing but like if they make the tournament next year the entire narrative is flipped again it's like oh he made the tournament two times in three years like that hasn't happened in quite a while so that's right. i don't know just kind of depends but this year they're definitely just playing out the string just kind of is what it is at this point like i don't really know much other way to describe it so we shall see they return to action on Saturday. They play Vanderbilt at home in the pavilion. And that game, I believe, is a noon tip-off. So you got an early tip-off Saturday. Baseball is headed to the uh, St. No, not St. Louis. It's a Keith LeClaire Classic. They're going to play High Point on Friday, ECU on Saturday, and Indiana on Sunday. So you've got that. Be on the lookout for that. I think that's about all I got today. I did uh, well. We I did watch some Zion last night. He is a uh, Lakers are really good. There wasn't much the Pelicans could do. I still think the Pelicans have a fantastic shot at the eight seed because I did also watch the Clippers. What they did to the uh, Grizzlies there tonight. The Grizzlies got a tough schedule coming in. Uh, honestly, the most impressive thing I saw last night was Zion Williamson get a rebound over Dwight Howard, and that's what you get kind of watching the kid. Like he, he did you know, do you know what I'm talking about? The fourth quarter yeah. rebound. He, ma- he made he Dwight Howard play. look like he was five foot eight. Yeah, exactly. Dwight Howard's what six ten, six eleven, maybe seven feet. Like mm-hmm. it's like holy hell, dude. Yeah, it, the Lakers' length just really bothered them. They don't have length to, to defend. I mean, <laughs> the Lakers. Well, no one with, in the NBA does no. to defend them. I mean, maybe maybe Milwaukee, but even still, Milwaukee like. Brooke Lopez not across is not the board. as athletic as Anthony Davis. So yeah. even with their length that can match up just size-wise, um, they can't do it. But, man, I was impressed with New Orleans last night. I know they lost, but they did not uh, make shots in the fourth quarter at all. I mean, just multiple times where they could have – they took a three-point shot that would have cut the game down to one and really made it interesting, and just the shot was not falling. Open looks, they just couldn't make them. But with how much longer the Lakers are than them, they held their own. I, I think that – I'm with you. I think that's going to be a playoff team. They play, of their remaining, I think it's 25 games, all but six of them are against teams with a losing record. So, I mean, they have a real chance to stockpile a bunch of wins. Uh, LeBron is still, I mean, he's the king of the NBA. That's what he showed you last night. You saw the future, and that is Zion, and I mean, every single night. And the thing is, Rippy, he wasn't great last night, comparatively speaking, but he still had 32 points. On It was like 12 of 20 shooting, and he forced the issue a couple times uh, trying to, to get shots up that he probably should have just passed out of the situation, forcing it a little bit. But, I mean, he was still that good. And he's, he's also still adjusting to not being bigger and stronger than everyone by such a wide margin that when he finishes around the rim, sometimes he gets rejected and then he acts surprised it happens. And I'm not knocking the kid. Like, he's 16 games into an NBA career. But, like, yeah. there's still some of that. Like, once he gets that through and, like, when he goes through a layup and realizes, like, how to kind of like, – Zion doesn't have to finesse his way around dudes, but he realizes how to finish through dudes in the NBA that are a little more skilled and, like, kind of have better hands and can place it on the ball and all that. He's going to be unstoppable. Yeah, got to work on going to his right as well. But, uh, I mean, if if there – if any of you, which I doubt, there's not many of us, uh, are an actual Pelicans fan last night – and you're disappointed, I think you're crazy. Because it took LeBron dropping 40 and you not executing down the stretch to lose in Los Angeles. The team is exactly what you thought they could be. Zion's great. Brandon Ingram and him are working really well together. Drew Holiday played like complete ass last night. 
they're right there. Him also and, guarding LeBron less than ideal. Yeah, and I, I just I don't know what else you do. That's the problem. That's why the Lakers' length is just so uh, hard to stop. I, I don't know what else you could do if you're New Orleans because Drew Holiday is your best defender. It, there's not even a close second. He's your best defender. Derek Favors is a good defensive center, but he's not athletic enough to guard LeBron. So you have to just hope that Drew's athleticism can overcome the size because it's not like you're putting, you know, Ingram or Nico Melli, uh, you know, on the perimeter to try to guard LeBron. So it's just a pick your poison thing. He's a really good defender, but he gives up what five inches and fifty pounds on LeBron James. Like he's never going to be able to defend him adequately. And and LeBron went off. He's still the king of the league, but. It was so cool to watch those two go at it last night, man. Just that was high quality, really, really, really good basketball. Yeah, I mean, it was super enjoyable. I had a good time watching it. I'm glad I stayed up for it. So that's going to be an interesting eight seed race because really the only thing, like if there were 40 games left, I'm not sure how much of a race it would end up being. But the problem with the Pelicans is you had Zion hurt and they're just, they're up against time. So every loss feels really detrimental. You can't really knock them for last night, but. No, and they're still only three and a half back, and they have Cleveland on Friday. So uh, they just got to hope Memphis slips up, and San Antonio's got a really easy schedule coming. They're they're going to spoil this show for everybody. You called it two weeks ago, man. Like, the Grizzlies and the Pels are going to be going down the stretch and winning games, and it's going to be exciting, and it's, oh, is it going to be Jock versus the Lakers or Zion versus the Lakers? And then we'll get, uh, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge and just sleepwalk through a five-game series with the Lakers that nobody's going to care about. Yeah, I'm just tired of that. I don't need San Antonio in my playoff life anymore. I just, like, please, like, reset. Like, the NBA's passed you by. You were smart. It was a hell of a run. Congrats. There's your trophy. Please, God, just please don't make the eight seed again. Please go into the lottery. <laughs> no one needs to see that. No one needs to see a first-round Spurs series. Like, Zion, as bad as that would be, and the Lakers would end up mauling them, as you probably had They'd win. If you gave me an over-under at four and a half games, I'd probably take the under. But it's still, it's a fun five-game series. If they get a game, the San Antonio thing's not going to be fun. That's not no. going to be enjoyable at all. So, please, I would even like the Grizzlies. They wouldn't have a chance either, but like John Morant versus LeBron or whatever. It's One a of those story two. that you want to watch, yeah, and I don't, the, Lake, I, the Spurs are not. I don't want to see LaMarcus Aldridge take 20-foot twos and then complain <laughs> to Popovich as if he's the one who asked him to take the shot. Anyway, I just, I, I don't want to see that. Please just go into the lottery. I'm tired of that. So, Anyway, I hope one of the, one of them two is going to make it. Hopefully, I hope if it's not Memphis, it is New Orleans, or I I would hope it's either one of them. I'm just saying, if it's not going to be Memphis, please God, don't let it be San Antonio. <laughs> I don't even really give a damn about it being a like I, I would really prefer it not to be a uh, a injured kind of wounded duck Portland team, but at least you can watch Damian Lillard for four nights, five nights, whatever it is. But I'd prefer it to be one of the two young guys, and I I don't think that's too much to ask. No, but, and I have a feeling it's going to happen one way or the other. Uh, just the schedule thing sets up to allow New Orleans to catch up, and, and hopefully they can. They're playing really, really, really good basketball right now. And they, I'm glad they finally pointed it out on the broadcast last night. And so this is my fan coming out. Um, but the amount of times I, I've had get up on or, or had like Fox Sports Radio, just I, I listen and, and consume national shows all day long. The amount of times they have said things like, Zion is dragging them to the playoffs. The team was terrible before Zion got there, and he's their only shot. It's like they won 10 after um, the new year. They won 10 of 17 or 11 of 17 games or something like that before Zion returned. 
Like, they were playing good basketball, and then he came back. But nobody pointed that out, and they finally did on the broadcast last night. It was like, hey, this team was good. Like, they won five of six before Zion came back. They're, they're, they're a good basketball team. And it was nice to finally hear that from a national person. Yeah, I mean, sure, that was the story of the Pelicans. If they don't make the playoffs, is them underperforming before Zion got back because they weren't as bad as their record was. No, I mean, they had a 13-game like, losing streak. Yeah, exactly. Jaleel Okafor was getting the most minutes as a big a night. Uh, I mean, uh, they just they, Brandon Ingram missed time. Derek Favors missed a few weeks, uh, sadly because his mom passed away, and he also got hurt right before his mom passed away. So he missed, I think, three weeks. Um, Drew Holiday missed time. Uh, Lonzo Ball, who got just shit on by um, oh hell, what Alex Caruso a couple times last night. Um, he was hurt for a while, so and they're finally healthy and actually playing the way they're supposed to. Anyway, that should be a fun race. We will uh, definitely be keeping an eye on that on this pod over the next couple of weeks. I think that's about all we've got for today. We'll be back at it on Friday, Mailbag Friday, the People's Holiday. We'll be back. Send me or Borky your questions. Tweet us your questions. Go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger. As you heard, he's got all kinds of cool shit going on over there. He's got the... Uh, Swayze Sausage, they've got Daily Specials, Keith Carter Special, Lane Kiffin Special, 8 and 6 ounce bacon wrap fillets. He's got the uh, game packs, as you mentioned earlier, as he mentioned earlier. Anyway, go see him, University Avenue, Crossing Kroger. Appreciate Greg coming on. Someone please keep up with his XFL picks. I don't have to dig back through it Sunday. But anyway, Borky and I will be back at it on Friday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.